Hello, and welcome to another episode of FileMaker Talk. My name is Matt Petrowski, and your name is... Matt Navarre. You sounded, you, you sounded a little Russian there and a little hick there. What's going on? I was throwing it on. <laughs> I wanted things to be very specific. Now I'm going Scottish. Nice. We've got to do that. Pulling more a little accents. bit of Irish. I can do the whole Russian, Scottish, Irish thing, but any one... I can't do. Oh, it's <laughs> a, some sort of a mix. And I don't know. Something else might end up in there that I don't know that I'd want it in, but I haven't gone to acting school, so. Nor have I. So we got an agenda today. We do. We actually have one. It's going to be news. It's not FileMaker. FileMaker cool discussion. Discussion and upcoming guests. And um, an invitation goes out if you'd like to have... Uh, something to say on the podcast, then send us an email to matt at filemakertalk.com. Which we've only got a few, but I can understand because I don't know that we've talked about anything that has uh, caused people to call in, I guess. And because the iTunes feed will be going on live any second now. I am going to be putting that up. I've sort of been in the midst of uh, doing other things, little applications and stuff. Which is one of the things we're going to talk about. Very cool. So let's head into the news. The news. On the news, of course, I go through, and I've talked about this in the past, I use a uh, Google Reader, and I go through the news, and here are the items that I starred. Um, one of them was actually something that's going to end up being what we're going to discuss, and that is uh, a the design caucus from Albert Haram Alvarez, or Alvarez, one of those, uh, yeah. talking about managing complexity in your solution, and that sort of spurred a little bit of a talk between us, and so we figured, oh, let's just talk about it on the on the podcast. Um, the other news item that we have is uh, FM Nexus has released Web Services 2.0, something that we'll be talking about in the future with uh, Vince Manano. And Web Services, if you're not familiar, those are things, uh, they call them those that funny little name, Wizdles. Wizdles, SOAP XML. Yes. You know, every time I hear the, the word whiz, I just can't get out of my head that that's something that we made fun of when we were little kids. <laughs> you talk about whiz. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. I guess so. I don't really think of that. I think of the Woz and then the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Web services are a combination of something invented by Steve Wozniak for Wizard of Oz. Yeah, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool that there are like just totally different ways of thinking of whatever. It's like when you hear a name, you know? You hear a name, and if there's somebody in your past that had that name, that's just what you think of. And exactly. with regards to the, the qualities that that person had, it's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Like if you, you um, hear of some woman with a name and you used to have a crush on a girl with the same name, you automatically think she's going to be cute too, you know? Yes, exactly, exactly. So another item that was uh, released that was is maybe of some interest was um, a Mac application. I think was it's called Typeinator, and one of the, the the ways that they were promoting was that they have all of the different FileMaker functions available in this Type program. And what I mean by uh, Typeinator, hopefully it's obvious. You start to type a few um, shorthand or uh, yeah, basically a shorthand version of what you want. So for example, if substitute is uh, a function you'd use a lot, you'd type in SUB, you'd hit a trigger such as uh, tab or space, and then it would expand out the whole function. Yep. So they've got this functionality in other tools, the ability to do shortcuts that is, but not necessarily 
all of the different FileMaker functions. But it got me to thinking, that's a relatively easy thing to do. You can go out and you can either parse the, uh, the help of the listing of all of the functions in FileMaker's own help. This is super geeky, but you could use terminal and then grep out of all of their HTML files, the list of all those functions, and then put it into a file, and you could use it in something like uh, Text Expander, which right, is the yeah. tool that I use on the Mac side of things. Or you could just use a FileMaker database, or you can even just go into FileMaker Calculation Editor itself and simply double-click and add all the functions and then go put that in a file and... You can expand out all of your functions. Do you do a lot of typing when, uh, with, when it comes to the functions? Do you end up going to the function chooser and choosing your functions, or do you just type the functions out straight? I mostly type them, but there are certain ones that I don't remember what the exact arguments are, that are ones that I don't use very often, and so I sometimes will grow, grab those from the list just so I can see what the order of the specific things are looking for, you know, if it's got, like, four arguments that it needs. But, um, yeah... I'm, I, I don't know. Some, there's some developers I know that really like the small level of efficiency, and they would love a program. So you can just type something like, um, you know, rather than typing out git script parameter, they just type gsp space, and then it expands out the, the whole name of the thing. I never really, I don't know, I guess I type pretty fast, so it doesn't really slow me down. I'd rather not have to think about the shortcut. I'd rather just type the actual name. Yeah, um, I've used. Me. I use both. I actually, I think it is to FileMaker's credit that FileMaker is so usable because it does provide you the listing with all of the functions, so that you can just choose those. And one of the things that I do is, I sort of do a hybrid. I do have uh, shortcuts like for the let function. Like I type in, uh, I type actually type in fm let, and it expands out with uh, both the brackets or, or the braces and um, the closing, opening and closing parentheses, so huh. that it's ready to add in multiple parameters. Smart. I don't do it as much for functions, but then also, and the reason I use substitute is when I do need a function that I don't necessarily remember all the parameters, I go up into, and I know this works on the Mac, I don't know exactly if it does on the PC, you select any function in the function listing in the calculation dialog box, and then you can start to type to jump down to the function that you want. So if mm -hmm. you're at the top and you're on the A's, you type to, uh, you start to type SUB, it jumps down to substitute. Yep. If you have placed the cursor within the actual edit area for the calculation, if you hit the space bar, it will insert the function for you. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, I think I, I, actually the space bar works a lot of times. So to add script steps... So, like, if yep. you want to add set field, you can just type an SE and then space, and it s sends it over there. It actually doesn't always work, but it generally works. Yes. I'm not exactly sure why it doesn't, and it should probably be submitted as a FileMaker bug if I can reproduce it and figure it out. But, um, but yeah, I, I, the shortcuts like that I use all the time. And then here's another crazy thing yeah. that I would love to have, but I just have not taken the time to do it. Syntax highlighting within the actual calculation dialog box. How cool would that be? Yeah, for sure. Well, you can do it in another program. For example, TextMate is a text editor that I use, and a lot of times I end up doing my calculations external to FileMaker for one reason, because if you're doing something that causes FileMaker to crash using some external plugins and so forth, right. then you lose it all. But at least in a text editor, you can have like a temp window, which is something that I create. So I go edit my calculation in the external editor, paste it into the calculation dialog box, hit OK if it accepts, cool. 
and that way I've got it saved in that external file which is named temporary while and I don't lose as much. It's happened to me enough times that I was sort of forced in that direction. Yep. Yeah. And TextMate supports syntax highlighting. It just needs a, a vocabulary in order to highlight all of the different uh, ways that FileMaker calculations would be highlighted. And I think some people have provided documents for that as well. TextMate, I think Text Wrangler also has that feature. Of course, BB Edit has that feature. I've actually been using Dashcode a lot these days, which is the one that comes with the Apple Software Development Kit, which you can download for free. For doing code? Uh-huh. Well, I use Dashcode for FileMaker code. I copy and paste FileMaker code into that because it does the syntax highlighting. Um, of course, a lot of the stuff I've been doing is HTML coding for web viewer stuff lately, and it's already one of the native things it understands. So, I don't know, I just thought, hey, this is a free tool, I'll try this and see how I like it. Hey, sounds cool. It's, so, it's actually what I've been using to maintain websites as well lately. Huh. Nice to know. I'll have to take a look at it. And it's free. <laughs> Send me a URL, or we'll post it on the, uh, on the article so other yeah. people can take a look, too. I've not looked at it. Apple.com slash dev, I think. If you go to the iPhone dev library, mean, it's a huge download. It's a gigabyte or whatever to download the whole software development kit that you'd use to develop iPhone applications and any other Apple software. But it's a free thing on your Mac. Hmm. Very cool. All right, so let's uh, move on, shall we? Let, let's shall. Next we have It's Snot FileMaker, or It's Not FileMaker, depending upon how you, you know, punctuate. Now we're going back to that whole whiz thing and the things you do when you're a kid. Yeah, it's Snot FileMaker. <laughs> So Hulu.com, H-U-L-U, was something that I got turned on to recently. Okay, uh, I'm going to go there right now. Very much I've... not FileMaker. Um, but it's a really cool site. It's kind of, you know, it's a video sharing site, kind of like what YouTube uh, is, YouTube. Actually, there's a YouTube, too, which I have a lot of fun uh, with my Jewish friends <laughs> talking about, which is really funny. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm getting in trouble here. <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. Not in a bad way. It's only in a good way. I I, I love all peoples of all stripes. I'm not, you know. So anyway, uh, Hulu.com. But the thing that I thought was really cool about it was you can actually get full-length episodes of TV shows, like, for example, The Daily Show. And when they have commercial breaks, they'll have, like, one 15-second commercial that you can't skip. So you can't TiVo past it, and that's why the site exists. It's advertiser-supported. But you can also get feature-length uh, Hollywood movies. Uh, I was, which one was I watching earlier? And you can, it, it'll also have commercials in there, very, you know, way less than you'd actually would have on TV. But they're 480p, 480 pixels high movies, so that's basically uh, DVD quality resolution, not streamed? HD resolution. They're streamed. Streaming? They're totally streamed, and it gives you a nice little player, and you can skip around to different segments in the movie. And it basically is in one of two modes. You can either skip around and fast forward and choose a spot you want, or when it goes into a commercial break, then you can't skip around in the commercial. So you can't like grab fast forward to the end of the commercial. You just have to wait 15 seconds, which I think was is kind of a brilliant, um, you know, marketing way. I mean, you know, commercials they're ugly, but whatever. But I thought it was pretty cool, and I, I, I'm actually I think I'm going to be watching movies and uh, and using this a lot. I otherwise I rent a lot of movies on the uh, iTunes movie store. I was just I was just going to mention that I cannot even imagine what we are going to be living in in the next you know 15 years from now. I mean 
everything I've got a friend that works in the video industry and you know for the long time the holy grail is basically interpreting what's said on the video and converting that to text so that it becomes searchable machine machine searchable because obviously the audio in the waveform you can't do much with that right. but there are guys that are doing clearly you know waveform matching that whole iPhone app thing where you hold it up to the speaker and it captures the waveform of the song you're playing and then tells you what song it is right Oh, it's just bizarre, the stuff. Well, see, that one, I think, actually compares the waveform to a known database. So you could sing a song into it, for example, or hum a song, and then it will analyze the notes and the timing, shift it to the, to the correct key, and, um, and then look it up in a database. But there's also technology that just listens to something that's totally new. It would listen to an interview and actually do speech-to-text of that, which is amazing. Those things yeah. haven't worked very well on the desktop platform, but if you can throw a huge amount of processing power at it um, and a lot of other tags like previous recordings of that same speaker so that when they say a certain word, you know exactly what that word waveform looks like. I don't know. That's, that's definitely cool technology. Oh, my gosh. What, well, what, is, uh, what is your It's Not FileMaker? Mine. This is something that you actually tried to get me into, I think it was a year ago. Really? I joined the masses. I signed up on Facebook. <laughs> that is my that is my file maker. Okay, the way that it happened was, um, I was not doing any new social media stuff. My impression of social networking and social media was MySpace. And as far as I'm concerned, MySpace looks like something that you would find run over on the road. Just absolutely ugly i cannot i couldn't believe it was almost like offensive to me that myspace became popular because it was so anti good looking on the web it was like let's give people the ability to make something look as ugly as possible and for some reason people latched onto it i was like ugh this is just absolutely atrocious my wife the starts Craig's, using the craigslist effect <laughs> oh, but Craig's, Craigslist in relation to MySpace is beautiful. I mean, mm. Craigslist is, you know, highly optimized and super efficient. It just does what it needs to do. That's why people use it. MySpace was like, okay, if people want to express their personalities in the ugliest form of a web page as possible. Now, granted, it's gotten a little bit better. I was like, I don't want to be part of that. So I totally resisted. So my wife starts using MySpace, and she starts just sort of really using, or not MySpace, uh, Facebook. Mm -hmm. She really starts using Facebook. And that's because all these people from high school and college start popping up and asking to be her friends. Because once you get one of these people that is on Facebook that you knew from high school or college, then they know other people. Yep. And it was almost like, it's to me, it's obviating the need for classmates to even exist. Yeah, actually, I just came to that conclusion. In a couple of weeks, my high school is having, this is going to date me, our, our 25th year um, reunion, which I'm actually not going to be able to go down to. So I started a uh, Facebook group for my class. And there's already, you know, a bunch of people in there. It's nice. It's so nice. You catch, it's you it's sort of like you it's like twitter where twitter is like for anybody and everybody can find out anything about you so you're a little bit hesitant to make these public posts but right. in facebook it's just the people that you want to say okay you can see what's going on in my daily life to the degree that i make postings about right. what's going on exactly in daily life. Hey, and by, the, just, by the way happy birthday 
Oh. <laughs> you saw that on Facebook. On your didn't Facebook you? page, I sure, sure enough did. I don't think well, I advertised you. my birthday on there. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm paranoid about it. Well, you can put like you can put the the month and the day, but yeah. not include the year, and it yeah. will say you know happy birthday, but it won't say how many years you are. Right. Oh, it's I just I'm finding that it's it's a comfortable little place to just plug yourself in. And the reason that you were pushing me towards it was the iPhone app for it. You were yep. like, oh, you got to check this out. You got to see this. You know, here, join my thing. And you know what's funny? When I signed up, what made it so like welcoming was somewhere you had done something that you said you wanted to be my friend. I didn't even have an account. And when I signed up and got an account, you were right there. Cool. You were like, Matt Devar wants to be your friend. Before I even had an account. And plus, I think they have this amazing technology, which is not you know so amazing once you know how it works. Even it, it stumped me. As soon as I had signed up the account, it instantly came up with a list of like 25 or 30 people that said, you might know these people. Do you want them to be your friends? And they were like all these people that I knew from, uh, from the FileMaker industry. Yep. And that is because somewhere they had my email address tied in somehow either to their at their Facebook address book yeah. or something that they had referenced with the domain.iso productions. Yeah, well, Facebook because allows today, each user like, to, to import their whole address book from their computer. And then, uh, that's how, and then it can know all your, all your friends, even though they haven't sent you an invite, it can actually know about you. Oh, it was just, it was such a welcoming experience. And what won me over was that it wasn't, it didn't seem infantile like MySpace. And the application for a Web 2.0 application is refined. Yep. It is the future of applications as far as I'm concerned. The whole, the fear of, you know, web applications taking over, I think it's somewhat valid. I think FileMaker has something to be worried about because the functionality that you're going to get in a web browser is going to be equivalent to or as good as what you can do in a FileMaker solution. Well, for certain types of things. Yeah, you're right. It's it's not there for some things, but it absolutely is there for other things. But the other thing is, how many millions of dollars did Facebook spend on development to get that nice of an application? I have no clue. Yeah, well, you you don't get there for cheap. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> That's true. So FileMaker is sort of a different space, which actually that goes to one of the other conversations I wanted to have later, which is, um, I guess we maybe we nixed that one from the agenda, but we were going to be talking about the economy and the downturn that looks like it's coming or maybe, you know, depending on how you define it, is already here, and how that affects the life of a FileMaker developer, how you can approach your own business differently to um, to still have clients. I guess this may be a, an episode all unto itself we should talk about in the future, get an actual economist or something. <laughs> I don't know any. Well, I've lauded Facebook enough, so, hey, transition. We could find <laughs> some. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> right, Facebook apps. So what's uh, what's FileMaker cool this week? FileMaker cool. Well, you've forced me into it. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. And my hand. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Petrowski has an amazing new tool. I don't know the exact name, but the FileMaker Gradient tool? Yeah, uh, Gradient Maker. Gradient Maker. It um, is amazing. It's one of those things you don't really realize how cool and useful it's going to be until you actually get it and use it. It um, creates, maybe I should let you describe what it does. Uh, it's, hopefully it's not too difficult to understand. It 
creates gradients. <laughs> no, you that's, get, you that's more complex a starting than color that. and ending color. And it'll create a gradient, and you just specify the dimensions. Yep, so you get the width and height um, and the uh, starting color. And you also do more, too. You also do opacity and angle. So you can say, is this a gradient from black to gray or gray to black? You can choose up or down. And then you can also make it left to right or, or any kind of another angle in there. Yes. And then the really cool thing was you can also do opacity. So you can make one gradient that goes, that's like, you know, uh, 60 pixels high that's opaque. And then you can make another gradient that goes on top of it that's a highlight or like a specular highlight kind of a thing that's transparent. And yep. the, the transparency can even vary from top to bottom. Ridiculously simple to use. You can create and store your own gradients. You can download a free demo of the program that allows you to save how many of your own gradients? Um, you can save an unlimited number of gradients, but the limitation is it limits you currently to... Um, well, this was that was my preview demo. Uh-huh. I think the real demo will limit you to um, 50 individual changes. It's so like if you change one color... That's considered three changes because you're changing the red, the green, and the blue. So oh, okay. any any single value is considered an adjustment according to the way that I set up the demo. So you can change the opacity. That's one change, and and width, height, blending. And I figured that would give people enough of an incentive to check it out, use the tool, but not get so hooked in that they just you know keep reusing the demo to create gradients. Or you can buy it. It's cheap. Yeah. So. Which actually I do have uh, do I did come up with the pricing as a result of uh, the the promo. It'll be um, thirty four ninety five. Is what it'll be. I'm to buying do unlim- it. unlimited gradients. Even though we're doing this podcast together, I have no expectation that you're going to give me stuff you build for free. So I'm going to buy it. Well, that's very nice of you, but I will give you one for free. <laughs> no, I'm not going to ask. Like. I'm not going to ask. Um, check your mailbox. Something may show up. Oh, you already did then, huh? <laughs> well, it's really cool. So I'm I'm uh, really looking forward to to putting it to because I've actually you know because it's been kind of difficult. You've really in the kind of in the past you've kind of had to have Photoshop, and I've never really wanted to spend all that money just to build gradients. And they're really difficult. Like if you want to make little changes to it, it's a pain. So this makes it ridiculously easy. After you build your gradient, it actually puts the gradient into a container field, and then you drag it from browse mode in in the gradient builder into your database into which is in uh, layout mode perfect and it just goes right there yep it's um that was the the primary reason that i created it was i did not like the round trip that i was using photoshop for because in order to get the most optimized png for your uh filemaker layout you have to go into Photoshop after you create your gradient. You can do your transparency or your translucency if you want. You have to export using the Save As Web to get optimized. Then you have to actually uh, use another tool if you want it to be most optimized, which there's a, a command line tool that I use, which is PNG Crush, or you can use some third-party tools, I think, on the different uh, sites you can search for those tools. And so I just I wanted to do this much easier. It turned out that the 360 works, which supports Java, which supports the ability to do gradients. I was like, okay, I've just got to build it using this tool. Right. So this is actually a FileMaker database that you get, but it uses a the ScriptMaster plugin, which is free from 360 Works. Correct. It in, in fact, it installs it when you open the file if you don't have it already installed, provided you have permissions to the extensions folder. 
And 360 Works, the Script Master plugin, has so many other amazing features, it's actually a really good thing to use for lots of stuff. It basically allows you to run just about any Java Groovy code uh, at, in your FileMaker solution. Yes. In fact, one of the things, um, there were a couple of people that asked for rounded corners, and of course you have to be able to get in and hack out some Java code in order to make it work, but it is possible to do to uh, support rounded corner uh, boxes and be able to support, like if you want a black box that has uh, translucency, it's like 30%, you're going to hover that using a container over the rest of your interface, it's totally doable. I just, since amount of time in the day <laughs> in order to get it done. So. Cool. Which brings us to our discussion. Yes. Managing if complexity or mangling complexity? <laughs> <laughs> and the latter is way too easy to do in FileMaker. Way too easy. In to anything. Do. Mangling. I like that. Mangling complexity. That was lifted directly from the Albert Haram Alvarez uh, topic. So you can read more about this. I think he has a he has a design caucus, and um, there's a, a small number of people he invites to actually participate in the conversation, and then I think he makes it available for anybody to listen to after the fact, to listen to this discussion about um, these things as they evolve. Very, very cool. And I think this one's still scheduled. It's still upcoming, but we, we thought you and I would talk about it a little bit from our own approach, um, maybe sort of as a preamble to those who are interested also in his um, caucus. Yeah, actually, uh, I just went to uh, the URL. It's at um, smallco.net, S-M-A-L-L-C-O.net. And then he's got that off of index.php slash services. Not necessarily a uh, web-friendly URL there, but... Not too bad. Let's and this is a two-part series, at least. There may be more than two, but this is the second part of it's the one that's coming up on, on mangling versus managing. And so, so he used the word mangling. Yes. Ah, gotcha. So what what is your approach to managing complexity in database uh, solutions you, you build? Mine is simplified organization. And what I mean by that is whatever is the most simple approach to organizing whatever is going to become complex. Um, best case example I can give um, is... And this is almost all done through naming. In fact, in other languages, I have a friend who is a really good PHP programmer but moved from PHP to Python in favor of better namespace handling. And one of the things that you realize and you learn if you work in PHP or other languages, the namespace and the reason for object orientation is that it allows you to use names when you're programming for naming things that are respective uh, sort of, of what they are, but you don't collide. So, for example, when you have a class, um, that class can use a variable name of, let's say, account internal to that class, and it isolates it from the, the other part of your script where you could then also use the variable name account, and they're not going to collide. Right. Now, that isn't necessarily the exact definition of, uh, of a namespace, but it's basically protecting things from mm -hmm. each other so mm -hmm. that you don't have collisions. The best way that I know how to do that in FileMaker is to use what FileMaker's already existing namespace is. So, so for example, um, object naming in the info palette, 
if I am naming an object such as a tab panel, I will prefix the name of that object with tab or tab panel. Oh, okay. So you, you actually put the name of the object on the tab. So I prefix it with tab underscore, then whatever I'm going to name that. Okay. You can do the same thing for layouts, although layouts are sort of a, a unique case. But if you're going to name a field as an object, then I will prefix that with field underscore whatever. By doing that, you have very clearly, when you say, for example, use the get um, object names function from that particular layout, it will list all of your object names, but they don't just have the random names that you had named them. They're prefixed with the name according to the naming convention that FileMaker has for objects so that you clearly know what those objects are. So the first thing that, so what you're basically talking about here is managing the complexity of what is under the hood to build your solution. So that, your, so that your, um, your graph, your scripts, your layouts, your objects are clear and simple to maintain. Correct. And I'm using, I'm using the existing naming structure that FileMaker has provided. Then on top of that, adding my own naming structure, should it you know, be required, and then naming things accordingly to what they are semantically. Okay. You know, and an account is an account, so the field name would be in an account field name. Okay. And so on. And then when it comes to like organization within ScriptMaker, uh, by simplicity on that end, one of the ways that I do, that I break out my scripts is I create folders based on the respective use of the script. For example, I have a folder called Application. Then I have a folder called Layouts. Within the folder called Application, that's going to contain all of my scripts that are universal to the application as a whole. For example, within this, the folder of application, a subfolder is going to be startup shutdown. Within that are all the startup shutdown scripts. Also, another subfolder in application folder would be shared. These are scripts that are going to be universally shared across the whole of the actual database solution. So those are scripts that are more or less uh, like black box type of scripts, right. or scripts that can be used for all kinds of different things. Then let's go one folder down to layouts. Within the layouts folder, you then have an individual folder for each unique layout. Then within that individual layout folder, so let's say you have a, uh, a layout named contacts. So you've got that folder named contacts. So it's layouts, then contacts, Within contacts, you can then create a subfolder just specifically for scripts that are tied to buttons. So that way you go into your script maker, you see layouts, you see the name of the layout as you had named that layout. You then see a folder called buttons, which is containing all of the scripts that are specifically tied to buttons. Then, on top of that, should you so desire, because of FileMaker 9's ability to filter out scripts, you can prepend the name of the script with what it's at actually attached to. Prepend so or append? Prepend. Okay. So buttoned, period, then whatever the name of that script is that that button is going to do. So what that allows you to do is say, for example, you're on a particular layout and you want to access a button and you've got let's say 1,000 scripts. By typing the word button into that filtering box, it filter out all of your individual scripts that aren't associated to buttons, 
But then because of your folder structure and hierarchy, you then see a cascade of where those buttons are. Yep. Because it has to show you the containing folders. I take an astonishingly different approach. <laughs> and to, to I'm main, ready to, to maintaining hear it. script. Well, first of all, I only have one script in any of my solutions. No, I'm I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of people doing stuff like that. It's You're theoretically it's things into small parts. It's theoretically possible to do. But it's it is. not a good idea. Um I do have very few scripts though. I, back in the day, I certainly had a thousand scripts and solutions I did, but now even extremely complex solutions I write have maybe a hundred scripts, or maybe not even that many, maybe fifty. Um, oh, I tell you, FileMaker's saving grace with regards to scripts was variables. Yeah, for sure. So I have I have a single script that is called delete, and it deletes from anywhere in my solution, and then I pass into that script two parameters, um, my context of where I'm starting and the, and the thing that I'm deleting, and maybe a third parameter as well, um, giving me more definition. Um, and then you're using branching within the script? Yeah, so within the script, I say, you know, I have a, a subsection that says, if the context is company, then do this, and then if the, else if the context is person, then do this, else if the context is whatever. And so that way, it only has to evaluate and there's maybe only 10 you know, modules or whatever that I would really track, not like 50. So it only has to, to step through uh, maybe 10 LSIFs to get to the segment where it's going to go down to the... Now, as, that's really good in one way because you have a single script that you can use and it's really simple to call it. You, you always know you're calling one delete script, one create script, one navigation script, one whatever. Um, but on the other hand, once you're in the script, FileMaker doesn't give you an easy way to get to the specific part that you're actually editing. So I find I use script debugger constantly um, to get to the, to the correct spot when I'm, when I'm maintaining. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it, 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 it's not a good solution if you have a script that's too many thousands of lines long because it's too difficult to find where you are. So at some point, you, it's a good idea to break them out. So what about, you mentioned the word modules. So with regards to your organization within ScriptMaker, how do you organize for efficiency in terms of having to find things? I actually hardly ever use that search thing in the script because I have so few scripts now, they're pretty much always on one page. Even for a super, because I mean, I have to be honest, I have not worked on that. My organization I use, I even use, I just use it on my small applications. I have not worked on a super large, super complex solution in a long time. But you most recently have, haven't you? Yeah, well, the, the application I'm working on right now, which is this pretty monstrosity public health database, well, I don't know, it's not gigantic, but it's about 100 tables and, and very, very heavy um, scripting and, and a lot of security and stuff like that. And it, really, it only has, I don't think there's even 100 scripts in there. Wow. So, well, that, I have to be honest. That is, I have noticed that I can develop like an ex, a really nice, complex solution and only end up with you know a very small handful of scripts that are absolutely critical. So, for I mean, for example, in my gradient maker solution, in terms of the actual interface, actual scripts that do anything in the solution, mm-hmm. I think there's a total of uh, it looks like nine here. I mean, really, not a whole lot. Now, I have a number in my uh, that are shared across the whole solution, but I mean, all totaled, I think the whole solution actually uses uh, around 25, 30, it looks like here, scripts. 
But you know, to step back a little bit, when we this this uh, discussion topic of man- managing complexity came up, the first thing that occurred to me wasn't at all um, the complexity that I have to deal with as a developer. I was thinking about the complexity of people who use the database and how they use different aspects of it um, to try to make so that it's it's simple for them to use. That was where all of my thought was going in, in managing versus mingling the complexity because the application itself actually you know automates a lot of very complex tasks for the user. Which makes sense. I mean, if Albert is typically talking about user experience, then... Yeah, that's maybe that's why that was the first thing I thought of. But they're both, of course, extremely important, and they both are very complex, and you could get, you know, you get a huge amount of economy and benefit by spending a lot of time and thought up front uh, in, in, you know, making sure it's well-managed so that down the road, you know, I really believe in longevity of an application. That's my favorite thing to strive for is an application that lasts a really long time. Yeah. When it comes to complexity in the interface, I pretty much have, I think, I I probably can't list them right now, but in my mind, I have three different questions, I believe, that I run through. And one of them in particular is, how frequently will this be used or referenced? Mm -hmm. And if it's low, I cut it. And I basically, I figure out, where can I either make it hidden within the interface, embed it somewhere else, or maybe it deserves its own other dedicated location because it's a low-frequency use item. Yeah. And that way I, I – that's more or less after I've sort of gone on the uh, the feature binge. That's where you think, okay, I've got all these features. I've got to put all these in. I've got to put all this information in. And then I pare down as opposed to just starting from, you know, what's the minimum amount that I need to put on. Right. I guess I do that, but what I try to do is I try to allow objects to be um, interacted with in a simple way, but also, you know, that 80-20 rule you think about a lot, it's really more like the 95-5 rule in databases. In 95% of cases, you need to just have a company name in this field, but 5% of the time, it needs to be something else. And those are the ones that are really um, the, the, the gotchas, because you, you can't apply... Um, in business, you can apply the 95-5 rule and fire 5% of your clients and have a really successful business by focusing just on the ones that actually make you the money. But you can't do that in a database because you know, in 100% of the time, in a given week, all of your users are going to need to use that 5% feature. So your database has to be the hundred percent. You know, you don't. You can't just cut it out, which is frustrating. <laughs> I can't. I can't help myself from smiling right now. You so. You so read the four-hour work week. <laughs> <laughs> I did. That was a, that was a direct quote from that book for sure. Because you know, I was that was a, a really important thing in business. If you if you've got clients who are soaking up a lot of your time, uh, this is sort of a separate thing. Exactly. Cut them. Find them. There's probably some other developer who will have a really uh, much better working. Um, a, agreement with that client yep. and maybe there's just some weird thing in the chemistry between you and them. Anyway, that's a separate conversation. So, but in a database, yeah, you don't have that luxury. You, you really have to build it um, to, to handle the whole job. So uh, what I try to do is make it really simple so it looks really easy to use. And, but then when that weird case comes up, it brings up a, an alternate window. So my, one of my favorite tricks for this is the hidden tab panel. 
So if you have a uh, context-sensitive interface, and let's say you have, in, um, well, actually, here's one of the examples we were looking at recently, was for clients of a veterinary clinic. Most of the time, it's a person who brings their animal into the clinic. But right. sometimes it's animal a... Bring a animals in? Well, <laughs> no. Sometimes it's a pet shelter. And so it's not a person that's representing this animal that that's, needs to get him medical attention. It's an organization. Got and it. it's, it's, that's pretty close to 95.5 kind of a rule. So you, when you look at that record for the client, um, when you click into it, it senses what type of a record it is. And most of the information, like the address and the phone number, is the same for both types of things. But then the information, if it's a if it's a clinic, it's totally different because you might want to see if that clinic has any other pets in there. And, you know, the branching becomes much more complex of what you would do. And in my opinion, the, um, you know, so those are the things that you really need to spend a lot of time and thought on because there'll be really big gotchas if you don't think about them early in the process. Um, and so that's where I spend a lot of my, my, my brain in terms of thinking about managing complexity. It'll be really interesting to see what, uh, sort of where the conversation goes in Albert's uh, class. Yeah, I'll have to follow up and uh, take a look at the, at the, he does provide the transcript or the video or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So it's always interesting to see all the different approaches out there and what people do. What do you do with regards to um, custom functions? How extensively do you, I don't know if we had this conversation on a, previous one or or not but I'm I've been really interested lately because I've noticed that there is a hesitancy that uh when the availability of new functionality comes out filemaker developers as a whole are sometimes or I should say those that I'm exposed to are a bit trepidatious to really embrace the, the, the full capability of a particular f- feature. And what I mean by that in referencing custom functions mm-hmm. is I will use custom functions to the degree that if I find myself writing code more than once, even if the custom function specifically and only applies to one given layout, mm-hmm. I'd rather create a custom function you know, just for the use on con- multiple places of conditional formatting on that one layout than rather repeat the same type of code throughout all the different conditional formatting on that layout. Right. Because then I can just reference the one custom function in one place, and my changes to that become universal to anywhere where it's used. Yep. I'm the same way. Uh, I have quite a few. Actually, there's another developer that I'm working with, Bill Keen, on this project for the state, and he's a custom function monster. Um, He has a database of about, I don't know, more than 50 custom functions that he's written. And actually, I'm convincing him to put him up on the Brian Dunning site because a lot of them are ones that haven't really been met by other ones that I've seen. So I'm hoping he'll get those up there because they're really cool. Does he know SVN? I've got to get my uh, SVN repository. It's at... um it's at code.google.com slash filemaker functions. And that's right. where I, I've, I've tried to work with some other developers, but not everybody in FileMaker uses or is comfortable with uh, SVN. But it's a great way to keep all of, your, um, all of your custom functions. You have to use an external editor. You don't keep them in FileMaker. It's not FileMaker files. But right. then you can tie. What happens is anytime changes are made to a SVN repository, you can have an email go out, and any number of people can subscribe to that. So, for example, my custom function library, I don't have the list set up, but 
Actually, I do. Um, when I change one of my custom functions or update it, anybody who's on the list would be notified that that custom function has been updated. Right. So it's, that's what's really great about the open source community is once something is changed, you can pretty much know when it's changed for everybody who's using that code. And I wish FileMaker, uh, the FileMaker developer community would embrace that concept a little bit more. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, I'll have him put him up there. He's a Mac guy, so I've, you've, you've turned me on to the SVN software on the Mac, and it's pretty cool. Um, it would actually be even cooler if there was a FileMaker database where you could maintain your own. He actually built one for his custom functions uh, so that you can use that as maybe an inner, as a go-between, but I don't know, maybe that's not useful in this case. Well, as a, if he's on a Mac, then uh, SVN is on the command line, and it's already there in Mac OS X. Yeah, that's true. So... The tricky part is uh, with custom functions has always been the the name and the uh, arguments. And in his case, actually, he has a lot of custom functions that call other custom functions that he's written. <laughs> yeah. So it's really tricky. If you want to copy one of them into your solution, you can't just copy the one in. You have to copy three of them. But you can't copy a custom function in that calls another custom function. You have to make the, you have to create it, name it empty, or just create one with that does nothing. And then you can create the other one that calls the uh, the first one, and then you can put the code in for the first one, which maybe you know calls the other one. I don't know because I guess you can't have two that call each other because that would be problematic. But well, one of the things that I do is, and this is another thing I've noticed that it takes a while. You really have to get up there in terms of managing your own complexity of things, where you start to tell yourself, okay, I have to document this before I actually write the code. But most of the time, you just want to get in there and hack out the code. In fact, the whole principle of test-driven development is that you develop the tests first, which establish the specifications for how the code is going to be written. You write the tests, then you write the code against the tests. And I don't know any developers other than I know that Mikhail Adoshin, he actually wrote an article about unit testing when you're going to, going to write uh, code. Right. Because I um, think you're, you're talking crazy talk right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that I do, like uh, in the, the SVN repository that I have where I keep all of my um, custom functions, in any of the given uh, custom functions, um, I'm familiar with, a, there's a thing called PHP doc, where you can create self-documenting uh, or self-documentation based on putting the documentation in the code, where you specify the names of the parameters that are expected, what the return value is going to be of the custom function, but also in there you can put dependencies. So, for example, in, the, in a commented section of code at the top, you know, preceding uh -huh. the actual code, I have returns, what it's going to return. I have uh, dependencies, which is shortened to, as depths, and then I also have notes, and then I also have um, params, mm -hmm. or the, the order of the parameters that are listed and what, what's expected in those parameters. Right. So. That's cool. I'm all about organization. If I could have designed the FileMaker graph, there's so many things that I would have done on that graph. One in particular is, you know, when you have got table occurrences and they're connected to each other, you want to know what has allow creation and allow deletion off. Well, you know what the what the connection is between table occurrences because it shows you whether it's an equijoin, non-equijoin, right, right, right. Then, mm -hmm. 
on either side of that closest to the table occurrence on the top would be represented by a little plus sign if you have the allow creation of related records on yeah below the line would be um, a little minus in red that's that would a, mean that's that a great you've tip. got the delete turned on you know I actually use those two checkboxes for allow creation and allow deletion very rarely these days yeah you tend to put them on like just you know a few of them and then mm-hmm. you sort of use those as utility tables right yeah, well, I, I usually I like to have scripts controlling creation and deletion of records rather than um, rather than a user clicking to the next line in a portal and being able to create the record. Although they're actually th- those particular features are really useful um, when you implement the transaction model because um, all the changes you make to a layout and all of the related values on that layout on that I should say all the changes on a record and all the portals on that record can all be sent to server in one transaction and that's sort of the foundation of how that model is implemented in in FileMaker and it relies on on that uh, on the creation and deletion checkboxes I'm not so sure about the deletion half but I think so but certainly the creation half is, is key well, that's pretty cool. Well, I know that there's a lot of stuff that, I mean, it's just evolutionary. As you get better and better at uh, developing stuff, you sort of learn, you pick up these little tricks and habits, and, and organization for me is, uh, that's like the penultimate in terms of uh, working in any environment, but FileMaker as well. What else you got? Me? Not much. I don't have anything either. Well, then we better wrap it up. We've talked about plenty. We've given people 40 minutes of us gabbing. Yep. Thanks for listening, and, and we'll be back uh, shortly with more goodness. All right. Talk to you next time. <laughs>